you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL podcast does not endorse picking up mysterious hitchhikers. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined by a room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. I thought I'd let you guys down on Sunday at the top of the show. You did. I didn't even say why. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, fair enough. When you couldn't hide your disappointment about the Patriots winning and you said they were ruining football, that part? That is something I believe in. In fact, I have launched an outright war <laughs> against the <laughs> You're Patriots. digging in on that. I like it. Yes. Remember this now. The war has begun. Uh, me against the Pats. Cancel the Pats. Save football. <laughs> sure. Bill Belichick's <laughs> shaking in his boots right now. I like you know what? Cancel them. What you know, Wes it? just jumping from lily pad to lily pad. Cardinals, Patriots. You know, <laughs> that water. Some of us stay loyal to the team that we fell in love it's with. It's a That's good story. You know, lone blogger versus multi-million dollar, you know, billion dollar uh, NFL this isn't like entity. The, f- the fourth season of like Ed, you can't just you can't just cancel it. You can't just eliminate them as a as a series. An Ed ref. All right, I like it. <laughs> anyway, the Patriots. I'm coming for you. Watch out. Don't know what I'm going to do yet. It's going to be big though, and it's going to change everything. But I wanted to apologize about Sunday. I should have had my for a new season some new slogans for the NFL. So on the way back from the restroom before the show, I just I'm glad you brought this up because we've gotten a lot of tweets about yes. this. So we don't know what to say. So you can do it for us. Here we go. And you got as always. Let me know honestly how you feel about them. Okay. The NFL will never be stopped. Little sinister. Wes. I mean, it's a little bit like the Patriots. Okay, so that's a bad one. All right, that one's I feel like you're throwing that one out early to almost set you got to have the better ones later. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> the NFL. We stand for the national anthem. Or sit. Whatever you think is the right way is pretty cool by us. <laughs> Cover everything. Everybody's happy. I mean, it's it feels accurate to me. I would run that by RG3 to see if that's an acceptable slogan. He tends to be an expert on these issues. Kicking him in while he's down. Wow. <laughs> I, mean, I, gonna, I like I like that one. If you're going like to slogan like here, you're going to have to run it by RG3. Yeah. All right, final one. And this one kind of ties into the, the first one I, I threw out there because I think it's important, but maybe I didn't quite hit on it. Maybe I haven't. Um, and I want you to keep in mind Mark Cuban's comments about the NFL a couple of years ago. The NFL, hog to slaughter? More like hog heaven. <laughs> I uh, think that's a that's a winner. That one is – that sticks – is that like a shot at Mark Cuban? Well, it's a re- it's in reference to Cuban's comments that you think the NFL is getting too big for itself and will eventually bring the whole organization down. This slogan saying, yeah, well, deal with it. Work, not going to happen. Works on a lot of levels. Um, you know, a reference, not a really a reference, but, ho- you know, the Hogs, they were a great offensive line. I'm a big fan of pork products in general. Like, I love it. So Hogs slaughtered that. That makes me happy. Pairs up well with the generally gluttonous nature of the entire country right now. There you and go. really proves my long-running theory that you are, in fact, smarter than Mark Cuban. 
Well, I don't have his money, so I, I think he's way smarter. But uh, all right, I'll 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 keep at it though. But it's off to a, a decent start. I like the hog heaven one. You're off to a start. We don't okay. need to categorize what kind of start you're off to. <laughs> okay, today's podcast, um, which is sponsored by no one, of course, uh, and I don't see a sponsor coming t- anytime soon. No. We exist essentially in a vacuum, but we have you, the listeners, to thank for, by the way, making our week one uh, recap show our highest downloaded show ever. So we have support from outside the building. We, That's the main thing. We appreciate it. I think you guys have been listening about listening to comments on iTunes and telling your friends. It is it has really got some momentum. So we have you to thank. Thank you very much. Today's show is a good one because we're going to talk about the Monday night football games, uh, which maybe weren't great games, but... Listen, talking football, that's fun. I like to talk football with the boys, Greg. You know that. You, you made that clear yeah. uh, during the division previews. Like, you like it, but only up to a certain point. Well, this po- I'm, <laughs> I'm, not at the, I'm not past the line yet. We're going to do some news. We're going to hit the Thursday night preview with a, a big AFC East matchup uh, between the Jets and Bills. And then, yes, it will be time for our Team of ATL nominations. And we'll get into exactly what that means when the time comes at the end of the show. But uh, uh, but before we do that, let's talk Monday Night Football, which featured two games, uh, Chris Wessling. And let's start off, uh, let's do it in the order in which they were played uh, in D.C. or just outside it. Uh, the Redskins coming off a very nice season where they got to the playoffs, won the division. Now, welcome a big boy into the town, one of the two percenters of the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it doesn't look pretty at the end of four quarters. The Steelers dominate on both sides of the ball, a 38-16 win. I thought at one point, I wondered if Kirk Cousins and Big Ben were even playing the same sport. (laughs) They play quarterbacks so opposite of each other. Big Ben is so aggressive, so fun, so willing to take chances, and Kirk Cousins is a check-down machine. His ball location was off, and Big Ben's ball location is always on. I just thought the Steelers were toying with the Redskins. Even when the game was close or even when the Redskins had the lead, the Steelers were kind of shooting themselves in the foot, and you you figured, all right, this is going to end up being a blowout anyway. When the Redskins didn't take advantage of moving the ball early, and they it felt like they were the better team in, in terms of moving the ball in the first quarter, we, we both said to each other watching the game here, Wes, this is going to be a blowout. Kirk Cousins was playing so poorly that John Gruden, watch, feeling for his brother on the sideline, was making sounds of pain and anguish going, ugh, you know, after certain decisions. He was basically saying, go throw the ball deep. Uh, you have so much time in the pocket. There was very little pass rush from the Steelers, and yet he was still checking it down or panicking, not running, not going for big plays. And uh, you're, you're right, the aggressive team going for it on fourth town paid off. I, I thought that a very big turning point in this game came early when Ryan Kerrigan was unable to recover that fumble, I have watched enough Steelers games where you Give get... Give Marcus Pouncey credit for that. Absolutely. You get them on the ropes in the first quarter, and somehow Pittsburgh, and it's because of the cohesiveness that you got Big Ben knows his players so well, that they dig themselves out of any hole, and it never seems to affect Ben Roethlisberger mentally. He just marches right back. The minute they did... Had the Redskins jumped on that, and they would have been... They would have probably had a touchdown a couple plays later. It is a different game at that point. See, I I agree that was a huge point in the game, but these teams looked like they were just on such different levels. I don't think it would have made a big difference. What do the Redskins do well? 
Right. They, I mean, even – and one more point about Kirk Cousins. A totally lost game for that guy. And I thought the moment, I think it was either late in the third or in the fourth quarter when they showed – and they still were clinging to life, and they were around the 20, 30-yard line uh, heading towards the end zone. And he has that wide open on the three-man rush, and he doesn't take the easy first down and more. Instead, he just sails it out of bounds to settle for a field goal. It was like – it was almost like he was a rookie again. And you're thinking, who is this guy that's getting paid $20 million this year? Well, you know why he – he got the franchise tag instead of a long-term deal. He still, in his entire career, has not beaten a good football team. A winning team, not even once. And the Redskins were very hesitant and very decisive about not giving him long-term money. And, you know, I, I've been saying on this podcast, I kind of expect him to turn back into a pumpkin. Not like he's going to have nights like this all season, but that is just going to be one of those middle-of-the-road 22-28 to 28 in the league, not a guy that's going to necessarily win you games. The best thing about this team is, is Deshaun Jackson and, in theory, the wide receiver group. But other than that, there's not a lot that excites me about the defense, even with Josh Norman there. On the Steelers' side, D'Angelo Williams went nuts, 33 years old, and ran for, I believe, 146 yards in this game or something close to that. And Antonio Brown, almost a ho-hum uh, game for him, but still, what is it, eight for 130 and two touchdowns? Well, he's, the guy is an absolute monster. Including one of the most beautiful catches we're going to see all season on a pretty throw from Big Ben. And everyone on Twitter and during the broadcast asking, why on earth you sign Josh Norman for the money you do and don't have him shadow Antonio Brown? And, you know, the defensive coordinator, the Redskins, like it or not, made it very clear that they trust Breland and they were not going to have Norman go all over the field because he didn't do that in Carolina. But I don't think it matters at all. Antonio Brown can devastate any coverage he's up against. He is I'm an incredible athlete. I'm ready to take Julio Jones and Odell Beckham out of the conversation. Antonio Brown's the best receiver. Absolutely. I, I agree. And I think D'Angelo Hall, who has moved to safety, was at fault for some of those big plays, not getting over in time. Uh, he's at a new position. I think they wanted him behind Breeland being the guy over the top. And he was never there in time to the point where he wasn't even in the shot. And you just thought it's all Breeland all the time. Antonio Brown has hit that rarefied air where, and that's the decision coaching staffs have to make. They say, do we trust our number one corner to take on a, a, a number one receiver one-on-one or do we move him to the other side and then have a corner safety, try to cover the number one guy. And they respect Josh Norman. Obviously they gave him a ton of money, but they just don't think he's good enough to cover that guy to cover Antonio Brown in 2016. Nobody. I mean, you Richard gotta be Sherman young Revis. You gotta be Deion Sanders in his prime. That's at the level. I think this guy's playing the position. I, I totally agree. And, and before we leave this game, can we talk about fourth down mentality a little bit? Bill Belichick, who, when he's asked a legitimate football question, gives the best answers of any coach. Tom Kern of CSN New England asked him about timeouts and fourth downs. And Belichick said, you guys always think it comes down to situation, fourth and one, fourth and two, what yard line you're on. He said, honestly, the decision usually is how confident do I feel about the play call. Right. And you could see the mentality that Tomlin and Big Ben are ready to go on fourth down every time. And John Gruden looks like a deer in the headlights. How do you pass up Jay. fourth or Jay Gruden fourth and one at your own 40 right. yard line? And then a quarter later, a fourth and six on your own 40 yard line, you go for it because you saw Tomlin do it. And, and when Tomlin was asked about it, he said very simply, we play to win. And that's why the Steelers are so fun to watch. It is amazing to think that they are missing Martavis Bryant, uh, Le'Veon Bell. 
Heath Miller's retired. Ladarius Green is out of the picture, and it and it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it, Todd Haley has turned into one of the. I mean, Eli Rogers looks really good. He yeah. looked good. Jesse James, I thought. I mean, yep. you talk about a guy that came in. He is a huge tight end. They had eleven catches between them. And it's, other teams do not operate this way. The Steelers have the most physical camp of any team in the league, mm, and they are aggressive point. from the summer on out. And the minute they hit the field, I don't care where you came from, if someone's not in there, you're going to play. And other teams, if you lose the equivalent of a Le'Veon Bell and a Martavis Bryant, you have an excuse to go 1-4 and four to start the season. Pittsburgh does not operate that way. Now let's move on to the late game. And I actually got – Audio of the scene uh, inside um, Los Angeles Rams headquarters after their first game back in L.A. in 21 years. Let's listen to it. It was that bad. (laughs) That's where we are. They go to San Francisco or Santa Clara to clarify, and they get shut out by the San Francisco 49ers, who I believe are number 31 in our uh, preseason power rankings in the 30 to 32 range in everyone's power rankings. And you could say, oh, yeah, that doesn't matter. The 49ers can be good. But no, the 49ers aren't going to be good this year. (laughs) The Rams were that bad. One of the most dreadful uh, Mark Sessler performances I've seen in a long time in a primetime stage. And for it to happen in week one, coming off a hard knock season, coming in your first game back in L.A. I know they weren't playing in L.A., but the first game with all the eyes of America saying, oh, here are the new Rams, it could not have been worse for Jeff Fisher. Yeah, I I feel like I called the Rams the team that had the most depressing preseason because you go out and you think you've saved the franchise by finally going and getting a quarterback versus passing on quarterbacks over and over. And he's on street clothes on your sideline while the, st- the starter from the, from the Super Bowl against the Ravens is on the other sideline. Meanwhile, we're treated to Blaine Gabbert and Case Keenum, and we got the product we thought we'd get when you're watching those two quarterbacks play each other. The Rams were putrid. As I watched this wretched dismantling at the hands of a poor 49ers squad, it dawned on me why Jeff Fisher's 7-9 and nine speech in Hard Knocks rankled me so much, didn't get any buy-in from his players, and actually had his players laughing during the speech. Right. Let's hear it from Irish one time here. I'm not going 7-9 and nine, or 8-8 eight and eight, or 9-7 and seven, or 10-6 and six for that matter. This team's too talented. I'm not going to settle for that. Okay? I know what I'm doing such a tough situation now because you you did go out of your way to to stick your chest out and say all that mediocrity stops here and then you have your worst game in your five years there it was a hollow speech and here's why you've heard of the saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results bill belichick has a tried and true formula for getting to the afc championship game pete carroll tried and true formula for getting the seahawks to the playoffs jeff fisher has a tried and true formula for going seven and nine every year and what he did was he came into camp with a roster that was much worse than the one that went 7-9 and nine last year, and he stood up in front of these guys and said, hey, we're not going to go 7-9. and nine. Meanwhile, he knows that Jared Goff's not ready because he saw him in OTAs. He knows that his offensive line is the same offensive line that couldn't open any holes for Todd Gurley in the second half of last season. He knows his wide receiver core has been the laughing stock of the NFL for a half decade. He knows that his defense lost Chris Long, James Laronitis, 
Janoris Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, and didn't pick up any impact players. And with this roster, which is much worse, he stood up in front of everyone and says, I'm not going 7-9 and nine anymore. No wonder why his players didn't buy in. Do we think that Jeff Fisher uh, might be quickly and more, more uh, quickly than people realize could be heading towards a hot butt? I think if this season went down in flames – then yes, at the end of the year. I don't think they're going to look at anyone on this staff or any advantage in firing him during this season. We don't know the details on the extension he got. A lot of times these extensions are one-year extensions. Tom Coughlin would get that all the time. Owners will deal with eating that one extra year. That That is uncomfortable. We we are used to this from the Pipe Rams. Pipe down, though. Jeff. Greg's trying to make a point. We are used to this from the Rams, though. They are the most up-and-down team in the league, and we don't like to recognize the ups because it's not that fun to watch. Like, they had that stretch a couple years ago where they won two games back-to-back, 76 to nothing. That same season, they lost week one 34-6. to So they, they'll put up stink bombs, and it's kind of Fisher's M.O. that they'll show up this week against Seattle. They'll probably play well. That I don't know if they'll win this week, but they'll probably be competitive against the Seahawks. But it is unbelievable. Out of 32 quarterbacks, Blaine Gabbert was 31st in yards per attempt in the NFL this week, and they lost 28 to nothing. Of course, Case Keenum was the guy who was number 32. They lost 28 to nothing to the team that had the 31st quarterback, and it was the dead last team in our power pool, by the way, Dan Hand. Wow. Well, what, you know, with it, when it comes to the Rams, they're one of the teams, you know, pre-drafting golf that said, we, we think we can build a team without a pristine top five quarterback. We can We can – Go defense. But the problem is, what happens to a defense? We've seen this typically with Chip Kelly's defenses. When your time of possession is non-existent. When you're the Rams, you're punting eight out of nine possessions. You're on the field for three plays a drive. Your defense is going to be what Aaron Donald was by the end of the game, extremely frustrated. I thought that was the nadir of the entire Jeff Fisher era when Donald slammed his helmet down and walked off the field as they were getting blown out. Let's turn over and look at the other side of this. So the 49ers who... uh, Listen, after being told they were the worst team in football or close to it all through the offseason, shut out a team, a team that's obviously having issues right now. But, Wes, is there any reason from what you saw in that game to think that the 49ers uh, may be better than what people have thought about them? Well, I would say this. They want to run the ball and stop the run. And the Rams fancy themselves as a smash-mouth, ball-controlled team with a dominant front seven. They outrammed the Rams. They outrammed the Rams. They dominated the line of scrimmage. They bullied the Rams. And if you're looking for something positive from the 49ers, before you go into Carolina to face the Panthers this they week. They have a brutal schedule. That's the positive that I would take away. What they want to do, they did. Carlos hides some of his quick movement to make people miss in the hole were unbelievable. I know the numbers weren't insane like they were last he year. Good. He looked like a special back and they don't have much going on on offense and that's why I don't think they're going to really go anywhere this year but even before the game we're talking about I think their defensive talent in the in the front seven and and maybe even in, including the whole defense is pretty good I think it's better than average maybe I think they can be a better than average top 10 to 14 type of defense and that's an improvement from where they were last year and they, they can be competitive there was a moment where they had a field level view and you just saw players for how big and tall and large they really were oh their defensive linemen are absolutely monsters. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, two six foot seven plus dudes standing there as your bookends. That is the makings of a good defense. Bowman is back too. Navarro yeah. Bowman's all the way back. Um, and yes, credit to the 49ers for playing well or 
playing way better than their competition. But that was still one of the worst games that I've ever watched uh, in primetime. It was very hard to sit through, not just because Chris Berman was the play-by-play guy. This, to me, was by far the most exciting point of the pl- uh, game when an idiot ran on the field. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hat and a red shirt. Now he takes off the shirt. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's at the 30. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. Now he runs the opposite way. He runs at the 50. He runs at the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. The guy is drunk. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. Waving his arms, bare-chested. Somebody stop that man. Here comes the blue coat. Oh, they got him. They're coming from the left. Oh, and they tackle him at the 40-yard line. That was great. That was the most exciting thing to happen tonight. (laughs) That's Kevin Harlan of Westwood One, um, and it was one of the all-time calls because I also like, and I wrote about this on the end round, which you could check out, is that while the telecast immediately pans away and it's like, we don't want to give that lunatic uh, the, the credit or respect to show what he's doing. Harlan just embraced the the ridiculousness of it and also in a way, in a subversive way, kind of was sticking it to the Rams and 49ers to a lesser extent. It was great. Delivering such a stinker of a game. Yeah, well, we don't want to subject viewers to to pain. How about watching Case Keenum go four and out to end the game to have a shutout for the 14th straight drive? As we're learning, (laughs) radio is much more interesting than television. (laughs) And Kevin Harlan... It's the future! Kevin Harlan loves life, and I got so much joy out of listening to that because it's something in his mind clicked, which was in such contrast to Chris Berman that said, oh, well, there's a person on the field. And then it's shift away and, and small talk, and Berman doesn't know where he is or what's happening. I think Damashek is a better Berman than you, by the way. No, I don't do a Berman, but I mean— Your Berman's like an aristocrat. <laughs> oh, there's someone on the Well, it is. That was the attitude. Oh, no, we couldn't possibly expose the viewer to this malarkey, but it's like, give me a break. Harlan just Berman. went down the great road. I will never forget that call, especially when he goes, and the guy is drunk. It's like, <laughs> and he's bare-chested. Some <laughs> goofball in a hat. Uh, all right. I've got, yes. I've got a whole thing on Jeff Fisher and quarterbacks, but we can save it for the wow. Rams preview probably. But I would I just that. say that nobody in America or around the world who watches football should ever again believe a word Jeff Fisher says about <laughs> quarterbacks. Fair enough. Irish, let's do some news. This is how it's done in Orange County. Welcome to the OC, (laughs) (laughs) Nice work, Irish. They dropped in a promo. um, Phantom Planet. Yes, Phantom Planet before the Rams game, a a band that has not been heard heard from since 2003. We'd play you a sample of the song, but that's no longer Mm. permitted. Once saw Phantom Planet open up uh, for Elvis Costello. Little known fact. Very good. That is not as only a little known fact. That is... Potentially not podcast material. <laughs> Favorite Elvis Costello song? So overrated, Costello. Oh, give me a break. Listen uh, to shipbuilding and tell me he's overrated. I love uh, 45, which is a newer, newish. Let's uh, talk football uh, and start with uh, this is the factory of sadness stuff, Mark. The Cleveland Browns have placed Robert Griffin III on injured reserve. This after he suffered a left shoulder injury. Uh, in the season opener against the Eagles, and just to um, put a button on it, as and we don't know if he's done for the year, the new IR rules uh, allow the Browns some wiggle room here, but there's certainly a chance we won't see him again. Uh, it, it seemed like a pretty serious injury with a fracture involved, but uh, Mark, it was just something so cosmically depressing about the Browns here that they 
on the day that they lose to the rookie quarterback that they passed on after they signed RG3. He beats him in a game. Everyone's excited about that rookie and your RG3 investment. And let's look at it. They said this guy is not just a, a patch. We think he could be the next guy. He ends up hurt like everyone kind of expected. Well, one thing about RG3 first, I understand that he's the easy butt of jokes, you know, league-wide on some level, but his teammates voted him captain this, this year, and they, and they talked about a different type of player, and there wasn't a single negative thing that came out of RG3 during the offseason or now. He, he couldn't have been more committed, and whether that's the right decision at quarterback or not, uh, I don't think it is, and I think if anything from a football angle, uh, Josh McCown gives you just as much of a chance uh, to win games but more than that, Cleveland needs to uh, stop toying around the way that the Rams have done previously and put all their sights on getting the best draftable quarterback they, they can. And really anything in the way of that, in my opinion, is, is wasted time. So it's not an RG3 thing, but let's get to the bottom of this. You don't have a quarterback with or without RG3. There's no way to mix that message up. You've got to go find that still. I don't see this as a factory of sadness fallout in any way. I think it saved Hugh Jackson from his pet project who looked lost in his first start with the Browns. It's sad for RG3. For I, mean, him? I yes. agree like in terms of the win losses from the Browns, but from a, a personal angle, a guy that you know we debated, should he win Rookie of the Year? Should Andrew Luck? Who's going to have the better career not that long ago? And, and to have this sort of second chance, which we never really saw coming. We, we did not think he was going to get a chance to start in the NFL Again, for it to go out like this when all they talked about all offseason was avoiding big hits, and for the most part, he really did in this game, and yet, you know, I think it was a little bit of bad luck, and I think it was a little bit of saving the Browns because of what Wes said. He was the worst quarterback in the league, I think, this, this week. Well, not, not Case Keenum? No, Come that's on. not fair, Greg. They put I him mean, in a different category. That's now. not fair yeah, because RG3, at least, the one thing, the only thing fair. they do well is test the field deep. I, and he did it all preseason. He did it in week one. I blacked out that memory. I really was, think- <laughs> I was thinking it of it okay. after the, the Sunday games. He missed five or six throws, not by a little bit. And that was even when he was protected well. It was not an encouraging week one performance not at all. from and, Griffin. And this, from, from day one, this was, uh, to me, a puzzling signing. Because, number one, he couldn't play anymore. And number two, he always gets hurt. So what did we see in the very first game? He couldn't play, and then he got hurt. Well, so why should anybody be surprised that this happened? No one should. And league executives, you know, this, of course, comes out the minute RG3 gets hurt. Is You know, this league executive said he knew it wouldn't work, and this guy said he knew it wouldn't work. And, I, and listen, that's fair because Cleveland, you have to go back to 2001 is the last time they had not even a good quarterback, but a quarterback start 16 games. They have had a long and insane history of drafting too small, too brittle, and not enough durable quarterbacks. These guys have gotten hurt every season. And another one of them is Josh McCown, and that's where this season... He'll give you get, three games, and that's, he's going to That's be where hurt. it could get depressing, because you have Case Keenum sitting Get depressing? There. <laughs> get more depressing if Case Keenum goes out there, and, and you have to watch 11 games of Case Keenum, and he's not you ready mean, at all. It just Cody, feels Kessler? Like Cody Kessler? Cody Kessler. Rally. Stop thinking about Case Keenum so much. <laughs> well, Mark, back to the executives. I can't remember a quarterback in all the years I've been watching football who has been more disparaged and maligned by undisclosed executive and scouts who almost every time say this guy has to basically put his ego aside. That's almost always the compliment uh, or the comment on RG3. 
And if you hear it that many times, maybe there's something to it. Oh, I don't doubt that there is. I again, I don't. This was never a project that I think any one of us in this room said this is going to turn into wins. This was a patch. I don't care who's in there. It is a patch. The team is not ready for a quarterback, anyways. And by the way, if Carson, oh, they were publicly saying that was not the case. I, I understand that. I think, but I think we understand. T- teams publicly say a lot of things, and I think you they, think they didn't. I believe? think I think that I think that you're talking about a head coach. That his yeah. ego is tied up in this too. Don't you? He wanted to make this so. work. At that level of football, don't you have to talk yourself into it? You have to believe. You can't go into a season and say, "Actually, we all think that we have the right. worst quarterback here." They, whether it's lip service and whether what we're being told doesn't matter. I think inside the building that Hugh Jackson did believe that for now, until yes. they had the answer, they could do something with RG three. Yes, I do. You don't get to that point unless you believe in things that are unlikely. It's unlikely Hugh Jackson would ever be an NFL head coach. It's unlikely Robert Griffin the third would ever be an NFL star. It's like you have to have an unbelievable belief in yourself to get to that point. If nothing else, that was the one positive I took from Jared Goff in Hard Knocks. Nothing was shaking that guy's confidence. I mean, he was – whether there was anything was happening or not, that guy believes in himself. At least he had that. But That's here's great. what's on paper. Yeah. Here's the problem because when it's April and we're talking about all these teams and their strategies and it's these wonderful glowing articles about what – Team X is going to do and how they're going to do it. Then the games start, and we start to realize, oh, there's still about six or seven teams in the league that that mean business, and the rest are figuring it out. And if you're Cleveland on paper right now, you're the team that said Carson Wentz is not the kind of quarterback we want. Jared Goff might have been, and RG3 was. So if you're a fan, you're wondering, wait a minute. Who's making these decisions? Why is this regime any better than the previous eight? You'll have that – I think they're more organized, but that doesn't mean that you you have to pick players. You can't. You look at the Steelers. You have to have star players and depth behind them. Cleveland has neither right now. I hope that that preseason quarter and a half or whatever it was isn't the highlight of the season, though. You know, it's a long sixteen weeks. Greg Browns fans know this season is is essentially over. I mean, that, that's be- how every Brown season is. I think there's a lot to be said for a kind of sophisticated fan who knows when a team is in rebuilding mode and knows that the future is what's worth getting excited about. And, hey, look, let's just let's see watch. if we can find promising right. things this season. Let's see if Corey Coleman becomes a stud. Let's see if Terrell Pryor can be an actual NFL starter. Those kind, You know, Carl Nassib, these are the things to look for, not actual wins and losses. Right. They may have found some players. Let's look at the positive, but it's not it can be wins and losses. And let's move on and talk about the Saints, who have finally cut the cord on running back C.J. Spiller, who signed a uh, four-year, $16 million deal last March, uh, March of 2015, uh, was not healthy, and seemed to be in the doghouse perhaps in his first season, and then got um, – he did not play. He was inactive for week one this week, so the writing was on the wall that Spiller was not going to be a part of the Saints' plans. Wes, my question, there was a lot of positive buzz, I thought, about C.J. Spiller this summer, and then all of a sudden, now he's unemployed. I would even go back to last year. I thought this was the perfect fit for C.J. Spiller with Sean Payton, who uses his running backs in the receiving game really well. Last year, you write off because of an August knee surgery, ruins his whole season. This year, May, Sean Payton says C.J. Spiller is noticeably different. Hmm. He's back. And then he's a game day active after in preseason they use him with the first team offense. In the third preseason game. In the well, maybe there's a final him. look now. He's, he's running out Played there well. before Mark Ingram in a third preseason game. And then Traveris Cadet's playing over him in the first game. There's got to be something else going on, but – at this point, I think I, I've pretty much given up hope that we're going to see, like, difference-making C.J. Spiller ever no, again. Something stinks here, yeah, and it happens 
more to, with the Saints in terms of their transactions than just about any team in the league. They do not do a good job running their personnel. I think Sean Payton has way more influence, you know, on the and everything going on in that organization than than's announced. And and they don't get it. They don't get a lot of heat for giving C.J. Spiller all this guaranteed money. I think the reason they cut him after week one was his money was all guaranteed anyways. It was flushed down the toilet, so it didn't matter whether he was cut after training camp or now. Well, and to Dan's point about what teams are saying publicly, Sean Payton last year uh, essentially cajoled me into writing a Josh Hill making the leap piece based on what he was saying publicly about certain players. <laughs> I thought it was unfair when he called you up about it. That well, was, all right. But then, you know, it's, it's the same thing. All these teams have to spin the message and have to spin hope until the games start. And now it ha- it's like, listen, give me a break. After all they said about C.J. Spiller and how they how – especially before they signed him, this is the ideal running back. I would have carved out of stone for my Sean Payton offense. And then, bang, he's gone. Their, their veteran free agent signings are among the worst in the entire league. That said – I would I would like to see him turn up on the old uh, New England Patriots. I feel like that would oh, be nice. Craig. Well, up to the two percenters. Then he'll I feel like that would be a nice little... That would be a great fit. That's course. what I'm saying. You I would love to see him. be roommates with Barkevius Mingo. They need that. They you guys, that it's not just you. You Everyone falls into the trap. Any free agent that washes out, immediately the rule has to be, oh, what about on the Patriots? Yeah. It doesn't always work. We've Chris, seen it. Chris Long looked pretty damn good in the opener. Chad Johnson. Chad well, Johnson cost them a Super Bowl. Belichick's the coach I that will trade 25 times a season and acquire Pot people roast. for two weeks and dump them. I mean, he's more active than other teams are. We got Bishop Sankey on the practice squad. Um, that's what's happening in the news. Guys, if you'd um, humor me, I know you do often on the show, uh, or you know, have some patience with me. Monday night was the first Monday night football game without Mike Tirico in several years. You guys just give me some time to process this. I know you think that I shouldn't still love you or tell you that. But if I didn't say it, well, I'd still have felt it. Where's the sense in that? I promise I'm not trying to make your life harder or return to where we were. But I will go down with this ship and I won't put my hands up and surrender. There will be no white flag above my door. I'm in love. And always will be. I know I left too much. Uh, Dan, Dan, yeah. go what? Uh, I think Is we've that? hit the end of this. Okay. Thank you, though. You know that I famously have ranked the greatest breakup songs in history. That's in the top 100. Wow. Well, that's why I, I, I didn't know that, Wes. I knew that you had the list, and you should point the listeners. Oh, you can find it on base. Spotify. Greatest yeah. breakup songs under my Chris Wesley on Spotify. It's a, it's. I'm sure it's a great list, but and that uh, that was just that was for me to Mike. Well, you really caught. I I didn't. I don't know that song. I have to admit. Really? What? Am I crazy? Greg was born <laughs> at age 32. You don't know. Sometime that in song? 2003. It started sounding familiar towards the end, but I didn't know what it was. No. Well, maybe it was. But Dan's that's beside the song. point. My point was. 
I didn't need to know it to really. Dan really captured the emotion of it. He really got to the emotional core. Thanks. That was a meeker Dan Hansis than I'm than I'm used to. I'm hurt. It was not the same as Sean McDonough, uh, who's a, a very capable I broadcaster. He did great. He's capable. It's funny. Well, give him some time. I, I think the point is you can do great, and Mike Tirico is just going to do a little bit more. I I think. Give know, it, missing Tarico is sort of a give mess. him some time. You're gonna always, you're not gonna like the new teacher or the new coach okay. or the new quarterback after the great one leaves right away, and then after a while you'll realize, wow. I I'm not saying it. I can't love again, but I'm just not ready yet. Let's talk Thursday night football. Another love of mine, the New York Jets traveling to Orchard Park to face the Buffalo Bills. Color rush night, Mark. Ugh, it's exciting. I mean, as long as you, if you're not colorblind, you're fine. In this matchup. I like PFT wrote a banger today. Like, whoa, with the NFL, Color Rush is all about, yeah, green. Well, yeah, of course. It's about money. They're trying to make money with more jerseys. Greg, you used to work for PFT. Come on. Can you make a phone call? Got that one taken down. Breaking. Capitalist organization (laughs) out to make money. Anyway, so this is a game of two (laughs) desperate teams. The Jets... Bad loss against the Bengals that they should not have lost that game. The Bills, no, they just lost the game to the Baltimore Ravens in which their offense looked feeble. Uh, So now both these teams looking to avoid going 0-2. But, Mark, the argument that I have is that the Jets is a better team uh, with a killer schedule in the next four weeks. This is more important to them because they feel like a team that could be a playoff team if things go the right way. But if you get in an 0-2 hole, you're in deep trouble. You, if you lose this game, then your task is to go over the next month, play the Chiefs, the Seahawks, the Steelers, and the Cardinals. And I don't think that the New York Jets got rid of Rex Ryan to bring in a new regime that would go 0-3 in their first games against Rex Ryan in a rather uh, vanilla Bills team. So, yes, I think you know with the way that New York operates and New York hovers around the Jets and Giants, if they go 0-2 and this is how it happens – there are going to be some problems. Of course, they could go 0-2. It's not like they're heavy favorites. But watching that Jets-Bengals game, I thought the Jets looked really good. They dominated on both sides of the line of scrimmage a Bengals team that you think of as being very good on both lines of scrimmage. They ran the ball however much they wanted to. That that's how they ended up moving the ball at the end of the game. Leonard Williams looked was a man on fire. The entire defensive line without Sheldon Make Richardson. Make that leap, Leonard. Sheldon Richardson wasn't even there. He'll be back for this game. And they go up against a Bills offensive line who struggled badly against Baltimore last week. So everything for the Jets, I thought, looked almost better than a year ago, except for the one thing that I expect uh, to turn into a pumpkin just like Kirk Cousins, which is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he's out there doing Ryan Fitzpatrick things, sh- throwing jump passes, doing weird out-of-control throws, and kind of being more of the Ryan Fitzpatrick I think we'll see this season. Didn't help that Brandon Marshall uh, didn't show up in this game. Uh, targeted seven times, three Uh-oh. three catches, including a terrible, terrible drop in the final minute when the Jets still had a chance to move down the field and uh, get in field goal range and steal the game back. Uh, and then Eric Decker only had two catches he did get in the end zone. But I thought, yes, Fitzpatrick did not look great, and there's reason to be curi- uh, worried about that. The kicker killed him, cost him the four points. So, I, But I think they played better than Cincinnati, the, which is a good team. The Bengals didn't even try to run on them. They were already uh, making their game plan smartly, just throw, 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 and it's not like they, they – No snacks there Dalton. I Can we talk about Darrell Revis? Sure. You know, I think – Mark especially, and me, I get annoyed by Rex Ryan, but this, 
This is a great quote. I love Rex Ryan. One thing I love about him is how much he respects and appreciates Darrell Rivas. And he said, if he's slipping at all as a player, he's coming down from the very tip of Everest. What a great quote. That is a great quote. And he has trouble with A.J. Green. Last year, Sammy Watkins at 100%. DeAndre Hopkins, those are the guys he had trouble with. Now we're getting Sammy Watkins at considerably less than 100%. I don't know if the Bills can take advantage of that matchup. Well, and I look at the Bills last week and were they able to use Sammy Watkins in that game, and that's been an issue at times in Buffalo in general where Watkins does not get maxed out the way that A.J. Green does in his better games with the Bengals. The Jets held the Bengals rushing the game to 55 yards, where the Bills last week ran for 2.7 yards per carry. And they had no Sheldon Richardson in that game. He comes out off suspension uh, for the Jets, so that just makes that team strength even greater. I think the thing with Revis, and it will be a, a, a good, a real indicator of how nervous the Jets are about how week one went. Let's see if they have him with Watkins alone. Uh, if they mix things up, it, it makes you think that they ha- they're really gauging where – their number one cornerback is at right now. This, I think this is an even bigger. It's a huge. It's a big game for both teams, but it's even bigger for the Bills because I think it's absolutely panic time for the Bills if they go zero and two with what what we've seen out of them. They go backwards ten yards on their first drive of the season. That's a bad omen. Rex Ryan wants to pound the football. He has a running back who's extremely talented and looks fast, but every time he gets the ball, he just wants to bounce it outside. They have an offensive line that's supposed to be a strength that really got dominated last week. They have a coach who who pretends like he's bold and quit at the end of the first half instead of trying to go for a field goal. Just decided to sit on the ball. You're beating our ass so bad, we're not even going to try to score. That's what the Bills were last week. I would be very concerned. They have two good things going for them. Jerry Hughes has looked about as good as a defensive player over in, as I've seen over the last five weeks in terms of rushing the passer. And Kyle Williams is back and looks like Kyle Williams last week. So if the Jets can hang their hat upon the defensive line, which was dominant, and the running game, the Bills are hanging their hat on Jerry Hughes and Kyle Williams? And a, and a secondary, two good cornerbacks. It's not like their defense played poorly. It made me think, man, if they had all the players that they're missing, you know, Shaq Lawson and Reggie Raglan and uh, Marcel Darius, like well, Rex might actually have something here, but they don't have those players. Well, and another, they have half their defense. It, right, and I think that's fair. Buffalo, you know, we've talked about it for, for weeks and months. They they had a absolute uh, rough preseason. Very few teams could come close to saying the same stuff happened to them. But if you lose this game to the Jets and you're 0-2, it's no different than New York. You go and play the Cardinals and Patriots next. Then you play the Rams. And if you lose that game to the Rams, <laughs> I got to wonder what happens in Buffalo. Because well, who I, knows with the Rams, which Rams team will show up. I'm just but saying. I, I the, see your point. The Bills the Bills have the very similar schedule to the New York Jets, and it is yeah. a murderer's row. Um, yes, you're absolutely right about that. And and Tyrod Taylor, after an offseason of saying this guy deserves to be paid, got to make some more plays this week. This is a fun game, though. I'll say that. I, I think Early desperation. It, it, it is. I know we don't like talking about must-win games week two because they really don't exist. But I think for these two, these two organizations – in this AFC East, where you're looking at the Patriots are going to go 15 and one or 14 and two, it's rough. I have a Sessler here. The loser of this game is one and four after Week Five. It makes sense. They're looking in a deep hole against a killer schedule, and you're not coming back from that most likely. Everybody got the Jets in this game. Or does anybody think the Bills hold home field here? I'll probably be picking against the Bills every week. Wow. Uh, no, I'm I'm definitely taking the uh, Jets. They're they're playing such a similar defense to the one that 
that flummoxed Tyrod Taylor last week. He mm. didn't know where the pressure was coming from. I don't like doing this because I, I don't want this to happen, and, and I'm not I'm no Bills fan, but I, sure. I, I think the Bills are going to win. This is in Buffalo, which <laughs> is no small thing. And, you know, the, the occasional Rex Ryan game where he kind of – he says F you to all his doubters and drops a little bit of a bomb – I think that they're going to play well in this game. Wouldn't it surprise me? We will see what happens. Tyrod Taylor played well in that Week 17 game against the Jets, played terribly in the uh, first color rush game. Uh, uh, So we'll see which one shows up. One last point about the Bills. You know, Greg mentioned earlier that only two wide receivers caught the ball, Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins. has to be irritating if you're a Bills fan watching Chris Hogan immediately score a touchdown against the Cardinals, it, it, a difference in that game. Well, they're trying to throw I think we predicted to, this in the summer. Right, while well, they're trying to throw deep balls to Greg Salas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we talk Team of ATL, I just want to check in with Mark Sessler, who uh, the last time, if you're a listener to the show, you know you're, in your mind Mark has let go and he's decided to eat all uh, food, fatty-type foods and not do any exercises. He's even wh- he's got the vapors right now, which is something a very heavy-set woman uh, might do. I haven't always been like this. Like a Gilbert Grape mom type. <laughs> um, but now the audience should know that that has shifted. You've gone away from giving up on your physical appearance and, your, and, and to something even uh, more hardcore, it seems. Well, I tried to gain. I tried to eat all this junk food, and I quite enjoyed it. But I, I didn't. I wasn't gaining weight, and I was just feeling uh, ill and feeling angry, and I didn't feel good. So I stopped. I, it's not a long-term plan. But I, I'm on to a new thing. <laughs> Who would have thought is, that saw that coming? That's fair. I don't know. I wasn't <laughs> thinking it out entirely. But I uh, decided during the middle of that Browns game against the Eagles, very early, that I would only eat raw foods during the game and with the presumption that Cleveland would win. And when they did not, I said I will continue to eat raw foods alone, just raw foods, until Cleveland wins Here, play a football game. Here's the, th- here's the thing about Mark and your diet is that you said before the show started that this raw food diet also is making your body and brain act weird. Is there maybe a middle ground where you could eat a diet that, that puts you more in an even-keeled space? No. Have Based you ever considered it's not the, the diet that is the determining factor in all of this? Uh, that I disagree with, Greg. You and I have been through this before. I'm not going to have it happen on a radio show. Based I on always been like this. Based on previous lifestyle vows that I've seen from you, Mark, I predict this one lasts 11 days. <laughs> That's fair. That means the I'll take the win. under. Into day four. <laughs> Into day four, by the way. I'll take the under. It was making you feel crazy. <laughs> Let's move on. Dick Banks said it. This is a very special honor. For the third season, we will be – or fourth season? Third season, we will be picking a team. Fourth season. Fourth season, we'll be picking a team of around the NFL. And what does that mean? That means, Greg, explain to the audience. It's the team that, in theory, we all 
are rooting for that we naturally in 2013 uh, enjoyed watching the Carolina Panthers early on in the season. We kind of we like the cut of their their jib. 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 What is it? Jib. Cut of their what jib. Of their jib. What's a jib? No one knows. Something you like the cut of. Um, we yes, the Panthers in 2013. The Chargers were our pick in 2014. We never really kind of found one that we fell in love with, and we settled on the Chargers. It was Didn't like week really 11, out. we picked them. The Cardinals. That's not sure. The and Cardinals. Then last in, season, the Cardinals. Yes, and uh, it's probably been less organic since that first season. And it's it's interesting. We picked the, the Panthers before they really went on a run and, and started playing well. And now it's something we meet with, with Danishes, I believe, that are involved. What we do is we, we use the interoffice email system to set aside time set aside time in one of the conference rooms. Uh, we block off that time. We get bagels, English muffins, locks. toast, locks, orange juice, coffee, and um, other Danishes. And we hammer it out. We hammer it out. And why today is important is – uh, what we like to do is we like to nominate teams after week one. And that not just tracking the week one, but all through the summer, you factor in all these things. And then after the third week of the season, we will select a team. And I'm not going to get too strict, strict with the rules. If you nominate a team today, it doesn't mean you can't throw somebody else out there at the end of week three. Right. But it's not necessarily a great look if you're going to bail on a team that you feel so confident about right now. I, I would like you to stick with your team, but I, there should be no rules that you can't go to somebody else before the final week three vote, which the vote must be unanimous. Mm. Right, Absolutely. Because cause the Panthers, for instance, I think were well into the season. It was kind of more just after watching them for a while, feeling the vibe. I think it was after three weeks. It was right about when, when Riverboat Ron had his famous epiphany. Yes, that definitely checks out um, memory-wise. So, without further ado, we will now nominate four teams. And uh, one of these teams will likely be the 2016 Team of ATL. I'm sure every front office official and every player in the NFL is listening to this podcast. Every finger crossed. Mark, get us going. Who is the first nominee for Team of ATL 2016? I'm going to read you why I'm picking this team and reveal it near the end because I think this shows that I have an open mind and uh, I would just ask the rest of the room to keep an open mind. Okay. Here's what my team brings to the table. Number one, a balanced, deep roster, both sides of the ball. Number two, an experienced head coach who knows the division up and down. Number three, a quarterback we can get behind. Number four, a team that plays the kind of football we appreciate in this room. Tough defense, versatile ground game with a top three receiver to do damage through the air. I don't like where this is going. The next one, <laughs> number five, this is a sober-minded middle American franchise supported by a loyal fan base that's been through hell. This dynamic appeals to Greg's desire for down-home pro-U.S. centrist values with a tilt toward laissez-faire economy. <laughs> number true. six, this is not a team that will implode by week five, nor is it some fly-by-night operation that plays games in a 72-degree sterile science fiction-like dome. While there's no guarantee of the Super Bowl, they'll be alive and well in December, in December, and they'll bust lips in the rain and snow. Hmm. I like them. Final point, number seven. We have a chance to say we were on board when this team finally enjoys its elusive moment of glory. And as a bonus, that moment would offer a chance for healing, redemption, and resolution for one of our own, Chris Wesley, <laughs> because this team is the Cincinnati Bengals. Wow. Right off the bat, Sessler drops a hammer. The Bengals nominated as the team of ATL. Well, I mean, you're, we need to hear from you first because 
Is there, Chris Wessling, and, and people that are not aware, West grew up in Cincinnati on the west side as a Bengals fan, uh, decided because of the team's practices and dysfunction, he could no longer support them. It's a lot deeper than that. But. Wrote a dossier uh, in which he broke down all the reasons why he would no longer follow the team or support them and has since celebrated each of their first-round playoff failures in the last five years, a uh, event he calls West of Us. Does that disclude them from having any chance of being the team of ATL? Well, I would first like to say that, you know, this is Mark at his best. Using his imagination, I admire his creativity here. He's thinking outside the box. Well done, Mark. Very well done. I will keep an open mind. Wow. But I would say there is very little chance that a team that I loathe and (laughs) I find amusing. I I don't think I can take the Bengals seriously because they provide me endless hours of entertainment and amusement. Not something that I could get behind, I don't think. Okay, he says he doesn't think. He's not closing the door, which is a very nice thing of West yeah, to do yeah. because it doesn't cut out your legs from under you here because we're not voting until week three. I, He's being honest, though, and you got to respect that. He's being honest. I, we could vote. Couldn't we vote next week if we all felt strong? Absolutely. Yeah, right. yeah, okay. But I'm saying the, the deadline is got it. week. I respect the vision you have here where it's a happy ending and there's healing and catharsis for me. Thank you for that. By the way, to, and to get there, wow. I actually a picked vibes. a team out of the AFC North, which I, I did something that I would never have done before. So once, you know, Once upon a time, a mortal enemy of the Cleveland Browns. Yes. At this point, Browns have no rivals, so <laughs> all hail the Bengals. All right. So that is uh, the first nominee, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, and I will, I will go next, Wes. Okay. And uh, the team I will nominate is – when I'm looking for this, uh, a team to get behind, it, it has to be a team that is downtrodden uh, in many cases. A team that – and a fan base, this is what I, I like, that has put up with a lot of garbage and now things are going in the right direction. And when I think about this team, a proud team, uh, one, of the, one of the forebearers of the American Football League, a decorated franchise but that has seen nothing in many years, but now – through the patience of ownership, which surprised a lot of people, is on the way up. And we saw it in week one where their head coach, a man maligned in his own ways, he hung some of the biggest Zeppelin you've ever seen. You notice these um, onions are sitting on top of the ground. And I'll tell you what, I'm talking about Jack Del Rio, the man uh, who, with one play call, sent a lightning bolt to the old Zeuser that that is the team of ATL, a team that is looking to change the culture, looking to save the NFL from the likes of the Patriots and all the other teams, the Broncos and the Packers and all these teams and the Seahawks are the same five teams that are always in the mix. Here, we're the new kids on the block, and we're ready to shake up the NFL. That's why I have selected as my nominee the exciting, the young, the energetic Oakland Raiders. A convincing argument, and whether it's intentional or not, really pulls on my historical heartstrings, dating back to when this exercise was more innocent and a fourth down call from Ron Rivera that helped inspire Mm. us naturally because he was playing bold football. That gets me going. Instead, you know, this exercise has turned has turned ugly. Let's be honest at times mm. uh, in off air in the office, emotional 
where it almost feels like sometimes we're just we're just saying, okay, we'll pick that team just to just to pick a team. This makes a lot of sense to me. I like it, Dan. Thank you very much, Greg. I really that means a lot to me. <laughs> Any thoughts on the Kiss of I, Cousins? I know, like I would be very happy to pick a team like this because of the arc of where we started with the Raiders when this podcast started, where we could not have Great been. Point. Harsher on them, and for good reasons. Mm, but they've grown, and we've grown. Great point. And I love the Raiders as a as a team of ATL. Great fans. point. That's a great point as well. Uh, the coming full circle after being the laughing stock of this podcast, Wes. I, there's a few things I would like to see from the Raiders before I jump on board. I, they're frisky, and I'm intrigued. I like Amari Cooper, Khalil Max, fun to watch. What else do they have going on defense? They got to do. I need to see Carl Joseph play. I need to see some cornerbacks play well. There's no pass rush in the first week. I think the team of ATL should have some kind of defense, so I want to see that. We, there is. We're not looking necessarily for a 12 and 14. No, 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 not at all. I'm not but mistaken. Doesn't even need I don't to be want a playoff a, team. Just a fun team to watch. After growing up in Cincinnati, I want a team with a backbone because I never had one. Okay, that's certainly fair. I thought they showed a lot of backbone in winning that game in enemy territory, but their defense did not look good. That's very fair. Greg, you are up next. Your nomination for Team of ATL. Well, I, I am going to nominate a team. I'm also going to have a point of order after we all go, go around. Okay, that's fair. Just in terms of talking about the rules. I'm, I'm big into the rules. I Hitting on the rules, that's important. Rules I'm not important. into surprises. I'm into a very simple exercise where you pick the team you are looking forward to watching. That's that, a great, great rule of thought. That's, that's all I'm looking for. That's all I'm thinking about. And I'm looking forward to watching Jameis Winston not just win me some sandwiches all season, mm. but light up those secondaries in the NFC South and be that sort of very similar to the Raiders in, in some ways. Be that young team for a franchise that has won Super Bowl but has been lost in Mark's wilderness for the last, t- what, 10, 12 years. Just an awful group of coaches and everything, and never really felt that's like my they were wilderness. That's, Youngery. It's a great throw. Well, I just using the word wilderness. I feel like I have to mention your name, Jameis. That's Winston. respect. That's respect to you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, Doug Martin, Charles Sims, throwing Vincent Jackson, Austin Safarian Jenkins. You guys can talk all you want about defense. I, I want to see a team that's fun to watch and is going to be aggressive, not dinking and dunking and moving the ball down the field like the, the Bengals sometimes do, but going deep and going bold. And did I you like watch those, week one. Well, they did have a nice, uh, some nice vertical strikes in week one. And then, you know, on defense, you got Levante David. You got Quan, Quan Alexander. It's a team on the come. We'd be ahead of the curve if we picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, phrasing? Yeah. And I, I, I think <laughs> – Put him on Rushmore. Irish. Pick up the chisels. Um, I think that Jameis Winston as the face of a team of ATL, I like that. That guy gets me excited, not just as a player uh, with potential, but also as a personality, a guy people can believe in. Well, I think Greg knows, based on uh, <laughs> conversations here and outside of here, that he uh, he's taunting a brick wall over on this side of the I table. Have, no, I'm not, because well, I believe that everyone in this room could have an open mind. I do have an open mind, and actually I will say that I, I would be, again, I am probably the most uh, willing to go to anyone's. If three people want something, this is not the beginning and end of my world. I'd be, I, want, <laughs> I want the team, to, the group to agree, but here's my issue with the Bucks. A, 
you'd say you like to watch them. I like what I like what they're about on offense. But I'm going to bring up two things I brought up before. The <laughs> uniforms. Yeah, give say. me a break with the uniforms that I got to get a sit down and get super excited. This is coming from a about. Browns fan, by the way. Oh no, he wears the uniform in the league now. I do. I think the Bucks no. do. I think the Bucks, the Bucks do. And, on, and secondly, are worse secondly no, that not. hideous that Florida sunlight. Count because you don't see colors. That hideous Florida that's sunlight that that's streams a fair point down on that field. <laughs> You're colorblind, girl. Colorblind people you are. see colors. <laughs> yes, but no, no. Everyone out there, it's not a black and white Charlie Chaplin movie out there. Just the tone is awful. I little. just like picture always anybody colorblind is <laughs> like a dog where their sight line is near everyone's knees and you're hearing like... <laughs> Black and white. Everywhere. This is a tough. This aesthetically is a tough uh, choice for me. I would That's like to see them thing. another week. Maybe it is weird. I and I am not a you know. This mind. isn't the, the the a fashion competition of around the league. The it's prop- the football team. Just one guy's the opinion. The reason you're in trouble with this, Greg, is because Mark's reasoning is not factoring in football at all. There's I nothing know. the Bucks can do right now to change the weather in Florida and their uniforms. Well, I what do football players wear? What's that? What do football players Uniforms. wear? Right. So it does factor in football. Yeah, but they can't change Yeah, it. but they can't do anything. Of course they can. The players Not for three can. years. Well, there's look, this isn't about just the players. I, I thought of, you know, capitulating and politically choosing a team that would have a better chance, but that feels dishonest. I'm not ruling them out. Those are my issues. That I like. I'm, I'd like to win. If I'm yeah. to remain invested in this uh, product, <laughs> yes. which is a very <laughs> iffy proposition at best after the past few podcasts where Ooh. I have been besmirched and dragged through the mud, right? if I'm to remain invested, I would have a little bit of an issue with the Buccaneers because Greg talked about watchability, and no matter how well they play football, they are always going to be in the bottom three teams of watchability for me. I can't get excited about watching a team whose uniforms make me vomit. It's about me. You know, Wes, you I never knew you were there, such a fashion plate. I, know, I mean, I, did, for, I didn't know you were so concerned with how appearances. This, the nomination process went smoothly until the kissing cousins start getting excited about uniforms. No, well, I'm, I'm listen, unexcited about uniforms. Okay, that that's been out there again. I said I'll keep an open mind. I'm not I'm not going to rule anyone out today. I'll, I I want to see another week of the Bucks. I think they are an interesting football team. And before we do throw it to Wes, we got Wes. We got to open the kimono. You're upset about some of this team of West TL talk. You don't like it. You think it's unfair. You think you've been dragged through the mud. Um, I think what Greg is getting at is he wants you to keep an open mind and make this a collaborative process and not just your team that we need to go along with. Is that is that? Do you understand where maybe that sentiment is coming I from? I absolutely do. And I feel like because when this, pro- when this project started, I was the most invested in the group because I was watching more video than you guys were. So I took some ownership there, and when I stood up against you guys, against the 49ers, which did happen, and we can probably roll the tape, Irish. <laughs> I think there's a lot of feeling amongst this group after this game, and Tom, Tom <laughs> Sula, took the sound about sound some potential yeah, team of around the NFL buzz for these 49ers. Happily would I do this. Let's I, think about it. I give Wes a lot of credit. He's ready to do it. Right now, let's no, just make that's a not what wow. I said. I said I'm willing to consider them, whereas before I wouldn't have believed it. Let's Here. go around the room. Yes or no, Greg? Yes. I'm Dan, ready. yes. Mark? Yes, we took way no. too much Wes. time last year. No. Oh, Wes. You Man. guys railroaded me into the Chargers last no. year, and you will not be no, forgiven no, 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 for it. You're welcome for that, by the way. That was great. For being invested and making sure you guys did not make sure. that terrible mistake. But we, yeah, I, you'd made a good choice. That was good. That was good. But we've made lots of good choices with, with Team of ATL and 
over the years. Should we now go, go around the room and find points where everyone else was wrong on this podcast in the past three and a half years? If you start a segment, if I start a segment where it's particularly making fun of you or mocking you, I, I would welcome you to do that. All right. Listen, Wes, this is what I'm talking about. Wes is sensitive about the situation. He's saying this is not the West TL show. Well, I'm, I'm open to the idea of just aban- abandoning my investment in it. Well, that was my point of order. Yeah. Just make the team of ATL no more. That's always Greg's solution to everything. <laughs> <laughs> eh, nothing matters. Let's guess. It's get not rid that of nothing it. matters. You know, your favorite TV shows, they last two or three seasons, then they lose okay. some buzz. Can we, I, I strike that down. I did too. Can we hear Chris Wesson's yes. uh, nominee, please? Greg, that was a terrible well, job West, by you. Wes West just agreed with it. That it's If, if it's not going to be honest, I'd be open I'd be, to wait it. Wait a minute. We could be open to We it. haven't even hit a point of contention. This seems like we're the most open-minded we've been in, in, in all these true. seasons. You guys are crazy. Everything was going well, and now we got a. That's true. Generally, I'd go along. Bruised. I'd go along with any of them. I was just saying, if we have to pretend that we like a team just to do it, I, I don't want to make West do that. Okay. Well, then we won't pick a team if we don't all settle on one. That's, That's fair. fair. Right. We're not have to ban the segment. Wes, your nominee. Well, speaking of keeping an open mind, I would like you. I I acknowledge there are issues with the Titans. Mike Malarkey being issue number one. The second half of the season opener in which there were three turnovers that caused a very exciting game to turn sour. The other thing. But if you keep an open mind and realize that week one is the perfect overreaction time, and let's let's concentrate on what happened in the first half when Connor Orr is all over our instant messenger saying how fun this team is. And I'm thinking they're so much fun to watch. If, if Greg's point is the most fun team to watch, the Titans, to me, can be right there with any team in the league. They need a little more smash mouth and a little less exotic. And I would say that that hurt them in the first half of that game, too, throwing fake dives from Mariota to pitch backs to Derrick Henry on third and one. And there's a lot of exotic. A lot of exotic. Yeah, exotic is fun. Which, is, which makes them fun, but not if they're scoring 10 points a game. But I am open-minded. We all, we all were kind of thinking that the Titans were – uh, a good pick. They probably wouldn't be in my top three or four teams, but I'm I'm kind of like Mark that if it's a team that I look forward to watching, I, I'm I'm on board. I I like the idea of the Titans. We've talked about that before. I I'm glad you didn't abandon the Titans. By the way, after a faulty you know opener, I I I'm glad you didn't because you got it. You got to stick to what you saw, and I don't think that Week One's going to decide who they are. I'd be open to it because. You know the a- my your your NFC South, Greg, is my AFC South, and I I think that there's a lot of fun things happening there. I'd yeah. sign up for the Titans, and I don't need this team to go 14 and two and be in the AFC Championship. It's like that is not what this is about to me. Like I want to see good football, but good football sometimes football. happens with a team that goes nine and seven and has lots of drama too. So uh, there, yeah, and there's no reason to panic after Week One, but some of the the team not winning. Uh, the team kind of having, you know, 10 points until the last couple minutes of the game. There are some reasons to be concerned that, oh, maybe this is the Titoon still with Mike Malarkey at the helm and they won't get it together until they have a better structure. Bit of a Mariota meltdown in that game. But they, they also could be a team kind of like those Panthers that, that it wouldn't surprise me if they're a 2-4 and four team that plays well down the stretch and is fun, fun to take some time to come together. I would I would say if if it's not unanimous I wouldn't really be interested in making the Titans the team of ATL anyway. Does oh, it yeah, concern that's, you? That's Does it concern you if you sign up with the Titans and then they flounder that you're going to hear about it all year? No. Doesn't concern me at all. 
Well, that's then what I the don't block th- button's for. I don't think that there's <laughs> a, a big caution here because I'm not going to get on you because the Titans stink. I think they're they- going to be fun. I'm confident they're going to be fun to watch, and I think they're going to be more of the team that showed up in the first half than the team that showed up in the second half. Are there other teams that you, you know, you kind of circling in your mind? Well, there's they're one. on the radar. You know, other teams on the on the West radar that you might support this year in general. Well, not even just the not just the team of ETL. There's one that's like every year in my top two or three teams to watch, and I. We don't nominate them because it would be a shot across Mark's bow, but the Steelers are would always be in my top three candidates for Team of ATL. I, I mean, you want I to get, talk about getting disengaged from the activity, right? I, <laughs> I get that. I would no, not. I certainly would, not a band. By the way, you episode. can watch the Steelers whether the Team of ATL or not. So I, I, they are a fun team. There's no doubt. There are certain teams that I think just have no chance to yeah. ever be in this exercise. The Patriots, the Steelers, the Patriots, both New York teams. And that's about it. The I think going for an elite team right out of the gate is a weird. bit on the nose. The Seahawks during the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson right. would feel yeah. weird. All the Seahawks fans too good. are, are tweeting good. at us like, what about Seahawks or Team of ATL? What else do you want, guys? I was going to say Browns, but I don't even believe that. I think if the Browns like well, found a quarterback and, and looked frisky, we would, be we'd be into it. All right. So there you go. The, the nominees for team of around the NFL 2016, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Oakland Raiders, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Tennessee Titans. So nice now, group of teams. Now we find out what happens in the next two weeks. Nice group of teams. What if all four lay massive eggs in week two? I mean, just get blown to smithereens. That's why we left a little wiggle room. Okay. You could throw somebody yeah, else out there. Could, but, I think you could change it later. But the truth of the matter, in my mind, unless somebody exploded in the next two weeks out of nowhere, mm. I I would be – if all these teams bombed in the next couple of weeks, we just might not have a team this year. We shouldn't force it. That would be organic. So it we want to be that way. That's a good, that's a good way it to look. It should have very little to do with one, reg- one loss record and who's playing right. like lights out after three weeks because that's how the Chargers became the team of ATL a couple of years ago. And then they cratered after that. All right, so that is it for uh, today's show. We will be back Thursday night, late Thursday night, uh, where you'll hear our preview of all the Week 2 games um, and also our recap. We'll start the show with our recap of Jets-Bills. Um, and after that game, I'll either be gleeful and be, and maybe I will uh, send a mess. Oh, excuse me. We don't use that word around here. Um, a message that, hey, guys, uh, you know, I don't mind talking about the game. Or I will be drunk and depressed in a dark room in my house. <laughs> Could go either way. <laughs> uh, it sounds like there's something at stake for your uh, immediate family here as well. <laughs> Very true. So, uh, By the way, if, yeah. if you're listening now, th- uh, we are going to do a live periscope of Sunday's podcast. I just want to, you know, everyone that listens to our podcast, if you like that, it's probably going to be during Sunday Night Football, so it's another screen. But if you want to watch us tape our podcast live, the NFL official uh, social media account will be sending that out next, this Sunday night. Very good. So, yes, make sure uh, if you could support us with that uh, as we take on the world. I mean, you're either with us or you're against us, but we're forging on. And that's it for today's show. Until then. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, the mailman, the boss, and Big Irish behind that glass. Till Thursday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.